0: family farmer now let me tell you what's so amazing about these scriptures we studied okay it says you reap what you sow always do what god says in sowing, re- and sowing you reap the right things don't get tired of doing the right thing and then he gives us this inside information um what's it called you know if you're part of the stock market and somebody like you know you do that cheating thing where they tell what is it called Insider trading, I knew what it was called. I just wanted to see who answered that question really well, really quick. insider trading. Okay, so God gives us insider information. He says, listen, out of all the places you can sow, all the people you can do good for, all the time and energy and caring that you can give, the place that will give you the best results is your local church family. Now, I never want you to do anything just because I say, hey, here's what the Bible says, da-da. I want you to do it because you see the pure and holy wisdom behind it. 28 and a half minutes from now, you are going to be 100% convinced that your life will be better and that you will see more fruit at the end of your life when you look back at what you've accomplished and you will be much more relaxed in life and have peace and joy when you first and foremost sow into your local body church, or the body of Christ, or the bride of Christ. It says up there, as often as you understand chance, do good, especially. That word especially comes from a Greek word that means expertly. If you want to write it in your Bibles, expertly. In other words, an expert farmer knows where to sow the seeds that he's been given more than anywhere else. He's an expert farmer. He's had experience. He's seen it in the past. And a farmer knows if I'm going to get the best results, I need to plant in the best soil. And he says the best soil for us spiritually is the local body church. So let me, let me just give you some um, natural wisdom behind it. Every farmer is limited to two things. A farmer is limited to how much seed he or she has been given or has. And a farmer is limited to their piece of property that they own. That's what they're limited to, Okay. In the same way, you and I are limited to our seed. We don't have unlimited money. Therefore, we cannot give to every single person in the world. If the farmer had unlimited seed and unlimited property, then there'd be nobody starving in the whole world. Everybody would have everything they need. There'd be nobody starving. Okay, you do not have unlimited money. Let me tell you what else you don't have. You don't have unlimited emotional energy. If you sow your emotional energy into people that produce strife in your life, if you sow your emotional energy and you get offended and hurt and angry, you will not have the emotional energy that you need to pour into your children at night or to pour into your spouse. You're limited by your seed. Um, You are limited by your time. We only have 24 hours each day. That's it. You have to sleep at some point. Therefore, you cannot go around the world and help every single person that's in need because you only have a certain amount of time. Um, You are limited. So you're limited by your seat. You're also limited by your property. In other words, you're limited by the amount of people you have influence over in your life. You do not have influence over the people in Washington, D.C. right now. So don't waste your time and energy trying to talk junk on Facebook and be upset about that and deal with that. You don't have any influence over them. You don't have any influence over people on the other side of the world right now. But there are people that God's put in your life, your spouse, children, your church family, your co-workers, your friends. There are people who you do have influence over. So you can sow into their life. Um, The point I'm trying to (coughs) get to you at first is this. Not even Jesus poured into every single person equally. Jesus bypassed crowds of people to find the one man that was willing to climb a tree just to see him. That's called humility. Everybody say humility. Now, in other words, the Bible teaches that the most, the best soil you'll find is the local church. Now, these aren't perfect people. You can look on your row and tell that without even me telling you that. These aren't, these aren't flawless people. They're not all 100% healthy in their mind, in their spirit, in their soul. But if you were to say, John Paul, I will give you the local church, people that actually go out of their way to seek wisdom, people that serve others, and people that get involved in things that bless society, or you can have the entire world pick. I would pick the local church every single time because I know the best soil is in this place. Um, When Jesus gave parables about sowing and, and, and sowing in places, he said there's thorny ground, there's rocky ground, There's sandy ground and there's good soil. And an expert farmer knows I don't put all of my seed in all of that ground. I put the main seed I have in the good soil. Then I can put some seed in the thorny ground if there's some left over. I can put some over here on the rocky ground in the sand to see what happens. But I know at the end of my life, when I look back and see what have I produced in my life? What has been accomplished? Did my life mean anything? Did it have a purpose? Did I do something? Did I just take up space? Did I just take up oxygen? Or was something changed in this world because of me? The only way you're going to get that satisfaction at the end of your life is if you pour into the local church. You will always get a harvest when you pour into the right soil. Don't sow into the wrong soil your whole life and then wonder why you never see any fruit. You're sowing into people that may not want to change. You're sowing into people that don't ever want to admit they have any kind of problems. It's always somebody else's fault. You're sowing into people that cause strife in your life and cause you a headache and you can't sleep at night because you're dealing with them. Let those people be given to God. You say, what? They're not going to. God is much more powerful than you are. You can pray for people and that will do more than sometimes you trying to change and help and heal people. You can't heal anybody. You can't change anybody. You can't fix anybody. If you could, you should start with yourself and we can't even change ourselves only God can so the best place you will get a harvest is when you find someone that's humble and wants to serve God and you say well, what about the outside world I mean eh, what about when we leave this building what okay this is the place that fuels your tank this is the place that fills you with faith this is the place that gives you hope this is the place that fills you with what you need So when you go out in the world, you have what it takes to get through that and to try to sow some seed here and there, but your focus should always be coming back to your church family. Psalms 92.13 says, Being planted in the house of the Lord, they'll flourish. Why would you ever want to pour into a person or a place that does not have God's promise to flourish? You can preach to somebody, you can give them all your time and energy and money and cry with them and hang out with them, but until they are willing to plant themselves in good soil, there's nothing you can do for them. All you can do is pray for them, and if God puts them in your path every now and then, put a little bit of seed that way, but if you keep sowing all of your seed in the wrong soil, it will frustrate you in life. It will frustrate you so bad... You'll spend years doing it and you'll look back and see nothing's been accomplished. There's been no fruit, no productivity, no change. And you think, well, God, I've been trying to help them and I've been trying to fix them. And I did this and this and this and this and this. And God's probably telling you, let them reap some of the results of what they're sowing. So maybe they'll want to change. Maybe they'll want to plant themselves in the right place. <clears throat> Jesus, he didn't, he, he bypassed all the, all these people. He told one man that day, I'm going to your house to hang out with you. Even Jesus himself did not invest in everyone equally. He realized, i got to find the good soil so I know, because with good soil, I know i always get a good investment. I'll always get a good return on what I pour into him. So he went to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus got saved. His family got saved. They gave all this money to the poor. And it's because Jesus knew that's good soil right there. Even when it came to time to his disciples, you know there were more than 12 disciples in the New Testament. Jesus didn't pour into all of them equally. He picked 12. Out of the 12, there were three he spent most of his time with. They might not have been the best looking of the group. They might not have been the most um, highest in social standing of the group. But he knew inside of their heart, they were the ones that wanted to do more for his kingdom than anyone else. So he poured into them. I know when I first started pastoring, it actually took me years to learn this lesson. But I always thought this, I thought, I'm going to pour everything I have into the people that aren't growing. Into the people that are complaining the most. Into the ones that seem to never take any steps of faith. Because maybe I can fix them. I can change them. Maybe if I pour into them, then, then, then they'll step up like these other people. And I had these great leaders and people that were serving and giving and joining the church. And so I thought, well, they're okay. I'll go over here to this bad soil. I think maybe I can plant something in this bad soul and something good will happen. And so there was this one lady, and um, she wouldn't join the church, she wouldn't give, she wouldn't be a part of anything, she wouldn't help anybody. So I thought, well, I'm going to, she's going to be my project. And so um, on Sunday morning, and her husband was really old, and so he couldn't even get out of the house. And so she'd come by herself to church, and um, she told me one Sunday, she said, can you come visit us this week? So I said, sure, I'll come visit you. So I went over to her house on a Wednesday, and when I got there, she handed me her vacuum. said what's this i need you to vacuum my house for me (laughs) don't take any notes on this part and um i said well okay so i vacuumed her house and sat with her a few minutes and that was it and the next sunday she didn't join the church she didn't want to serve she said can i see you again wednesday i said sure so i went back wednesday i vacuumed her house again this time i vacuumed downstairs and upstairs this went on for three and a half months I ended up getting manipulated into watching her husband while she went out with her friends and went to the grocery store. I fed her husband. Who couldn't, he couldn't even feed himself. And I'm thinking, God, is this what pastoring is supposed to do? I'm not seeing any kind of return. I'm investing. I'm pouring into. I'm giving of my time and energy. And there's nothing changing. So one Sunday, I told her, I said, listen. And, and, and let me tell you what I wanted to say. And then I'll tell you what I really did say, okay? <laughs> it wasn't bad. I wanted to say wanted to say i have a family i have a wife and kids i have people in church that do want to give of themselves and do want to be part of something great i just don't like being with you or around you i got all, i didn't say here's what i said was i said i'm sorry i don't have time to come by and visit you this week she said oh john paul you got to come back in my house who's gonna do it if you don't do it i said listen i'm so sorry i just cannot come to visit you anymore i have a job i'm pastor i'm trying to build a church i can't do it and she did like and she was real short, so she was like this. She said, if you don't come to my house this week in vacuum, I'm not coming back to your church. And I said, Can you put that in writing and sign your name to it? Because I don't ever want to see you again. And I had all these people that were doing good and were growing and I was ignoring them. We do this as parents, you know. We have kids and, and we raise the kids, and one of them's working hard and being diligent and, and studying, and the other one's not. And the other one doesn't have any mental problems, there's no handicap, they're just lazy. And so we think, well, I'm going to pour into this one that's not doing anything, and I'm going to give it myself and see if I can change and help and fix like that. Instead of saying, why don't you step up, and then I'll reward you. Step up, and it's like if you have five kids, and four of them um, make their bed in the morning. Three of them make their bed and their breakfast. Two of them make their bed and their breakfast, and they clean up. One of them makes their bed, breakfast, cleans up, and tells you thank you for the food, I love you, before they walk out the door. When you're handing out allowances, please tell me you don't give them all the same thing. If you do, you're teaching the one that's not willing to grow, that's not willing to step up to the plate, it's okay what you're doing and you're still going to get a reward. And you're still going to get our seed, our time, our energy, our king. It's not healthy. Don't do it at your workplace. If you're a boss and you're passing out bonuses, and you got one employee that's just showing up late and leaving early, you better not give them all equal. we got to learn where to invest the seed that God's given us. And the best place is the local church. Um, I believe with all my heart that the local church is the hope of the world. The hope of the world. Think about this. Not any other group of people in the entire world has ever been trusted with the life-changing message of the cross of Jesus Christ but the local church. Nothing else can transform a life the way God can through a local church. The government can't transform lives. <clears throat> the hospital can't transform lives. Medicine cannot transform a life like Jesus can through the local church. Schools cannot transform lives. Somebody can get a, a degree in college and still act like they're 16 years old. Not even education can transform a life like the local church can. I can't even tell you what depth of my soul this makes sense to me. I mean, there are billion-dollar companies and corporations that have evaporated off planet Earth, but not the local church. I think Nabisco, Texaco, Standard Oil, Blockbuster. Everybody remember going to Blockbuster every week and you go rent. We thought Blockbuster would be here forever. Billions of dollars, thousands and thousands of employees. They are no longer here on planet Earth. You know what's still here? The local church. For the past 2,000 years, the only group of people that have lasted, and they're not perfect people, they're not the, 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 we're not always the most educated, not always the richest in society, not always the strongest, yet the fallible, imperfect body of Christ is the only corporation that has ever lasted since time began. Can you believe that? Can you, uh, in other words, if you're going to invest, don't you want to invest in a stock that's continuing to rise? I mean, if you got a, you got 100000 bucks and you're going to invest in somebody, so listen, for the past 2,000 years, this group has constantly risen, has not stopped. In fact, I have proof that at the very end of time, after you're dead and gone, after the rapture, at the end of the millennial reign, The only group that will be left after all of that is the local church. Can you believe? You know why? Because Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, on this rock I'll build my church and not even the gates of hell can prevail against it. The only group of people that have the promise that God will sustain them, provide for them, protect them, and always be there for them is the local church. Nothing else. They thought the Persian Empire would last forever. It's gone. The Roman Empire, they thought that thing would circle the globe and conquer the world. They're gone. But the thing that's left, the thing that's been persecuted, been attacked, been been fought against, been tried to be destroyed by all kinds of groups of people, it is still on planet Earth. And that's the local church. I've discovered that we can only help a person so far until they are willing to plant themselves in a place where they're going to flourish in other words you can look around for other investments you can sow seeds into this over here and this over here and give your time and energy to this over but until you find a person who is willing to plant themselves in the very place where the word of god promises they will flourish there's not much more you can do for them besides pray you can put a little bit of seed in the thorny area A little bit of seed over here in the rock here because people need to hear the word there's non-believers there's atheists there's secularists out there and they need to be loved and shown mercy and sown a little bit of seed into but if you are trying to beat a dead horse it will leave you weary confused and upset at the end of your life the only thing left on planet earth at the very end of time will be the local church what an amazing investment that is do you realize that we are known in heaven not by um, our, our color, hair on Earth, not by um, you know uh, how much money we collected in the bank. Um, we are known in heaven not by where we worked at. We weren't. Oh, that guy was a plumber. Oh, that guy was a, that lady. She was a teacher. That's not. We are known in heaven by what we produced on planet Earth, the fruit that we produced on planet Earth. That's how you. In fact, you're known this way for all of eternity. All of eternity. When you get up there and you see. Martin Luther King Jr., or, or, or Mother Teresa, or, or George Washington, or whoever you're not gonna be. Oh, you were the guy with white hair, you know. You were the, you were the, you were the, you, oh, you were the guy that you had three children. That's how you know you drove that Pontiac. You, that's who you are. No, 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 they're known by what they produced when they were. In, a, in fact, let me teach you something that kind of goes along with this. How would you like to know if, when you meet somebody, if they really are who they say they are or claim to be? In other words, let's say you're you're dating somebody. You find somebody in your day. How would you like to know if they really are who they say they are when they're in front of you? How would you like to know if when you hire somebody, they can actually do what they claim they can do? How would you like to know if your pastor is the next Jim Jones or not? In other words, how would you like to know that I'm not leading you down a wrong path and making you drink some Kool-Aid and jump off a cliff? Like, how do you know that I'm not deceiving you in some way? How do you know that the person in your life really is who they claim they are? You mean teach you? You mean teach you how? Here's how. Luke 6, 44. A person is known by the fruit that they produce. If you want to know what kind of farmer somebody is, what do you do? You look at their crop. That you can go to somebody and say, "What kind of farm are you?" I'm a dairy farmer, and then you go on their farm, and there's no cows anywhere. They got pigs. Like you're lying. You're a bacon farmer. You're not a a a, a milk or whatever. You're not. What, what, and that, what's the so funny about that? Is that not what a bacon farmer would have? <laughs> anyway, pigs, pigs, Okay, let me give you a better one. You go to a tree, and there's and I, and I say to you, "What kind of tree is this?" And you you pull an apple off, and you bite into the apple. It's an apple tree. And I said, how do you know it's an apple tree? Well, there's apples hanging off of it. That's the kind of fruit it's producing, okay? When you meet somebody, you want to know who they really are. You look at what they've produced in their life. A lot of people produce things only for themselves. Their whole life has been selfish. So they can tell you, oh, they love God and they're a giver and I'm this and this. But if you look back and they haven't produced anything, we're known by what we produce We're known by our phone that rings. <laughs> ah, Trisha's had a week this week. I'm telling you, her son got married, it was oh my goodness. She has had a week. She's fired, but she's had a week, I'm tell, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I fired her, I'd have to quit. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just quitting. I'm just kidding. Okay, listen. <laughs> Where was I talking about? <laughs> and by the fruit there, Okay, listen. So, listen, if I was going to find a basketball coach, you know, I wouldn't see, hey, I wouldn't ask the basketball coach, hey, can you dunk a bowl? I wouldn't say that. I don't care if the basketball coach can dunk. That's like looking for a, a church based on how good the preacher can preach. Preaching sermons, I think anybody can do. There's great preachers all over the place. That's asking the basketball coach, oh, can you dunk the ball? Yeah, no, it doesn't matter. I want to ask the basketball coach, do you help people win games? If they're on your team, do they win? When they are faced with an opponent, how do they respond to that opponent and that enemy in their life? When you find a church to pour into, a household of faith, you need to do this. I want to be part of a church that helps people win. It helps their dreams come true that visits them when they're in the hospital, that prays with them when they're sick. Oh, if I'm going to pour into a team, I want a team that's willing to pour back into me. I want a team that's going to open up doors for me to learn how to win against unforgiveness, learn how to win uh, against anger, learn how to win in my finances, learn how to win in healing. and sick. I want a team that's going to help me win. Solid Rock Family wants to help you win. We want to help you produce fruit in your life. When you get on your deathbed, I want you to look back and see that things actually grew in planet Earth because you were a part of something bigger than yourselves. I was um, reading about a, a guy named Captain Charles Plum. Captain Charles Plum was a Navy fighter pilot in Vietnam. He flew 75 successful combat missions without any fail on number 76 his plane got hit by a surface to air missile and before the plane exploded he managed to eject and he parachuted safely to the ground years later captain plum and his wife were having dinner at a very nice restaurant and all of a sudden this couple walks by and the husband looks at captain plum and he says ah i I, I know you i know who you are you're captain charles plum You flew fighter jets off the USS Kitty Hawk in Vietnam. I remember you. You got shot up in the sky. And you parachuted down to the ground. I know all about you. And Captain Plum was kind of shot. He didn't recognize the guy. And he he said, excuse me, sir. How do you know all these details about my life? How, how How do you know about me? And the guy said, oh, man, I was a sailor on the same ship that you were on. And then he said a statement that forever changed Captain Plum's life. He looked at him in the eyes and he said, I was the one who packed your parachute. Captain Plum stood up from the table, gave him a big hug, tears in his eyes. They reminisced a few minutes and went their separate ways. Later that night, Captain Plum was tossing and turning in bed. He couldn't sleep. He was thinking about the sailor that he met earlier. He thought about how many times he must have walked by that sailor on the same ship and never recognized him. Never acknowledged him. Never said, hello, how are you doing? Things going okay for you? Not a single word. Captain Plum was so uh, guilt-stricken inside, he thought about all the hours that sailor must have spent in the bowels of the ship, carefully sewing the fabric together so that every parachute would be just right. Captain Plum's life changed that night. After that, week was over he decided to become a motivational speaker and he goes all over the world sharing his testimony the title of his speech is this who packed your parachute see somebody sowed seeds for you to be here today somebody gave to the kingdom of god so you could be in this place somebody invited you here or somebody paid for the sign out front or somebody did the work on facebook somebody's packing your parachute by watching the kids while you're in here. Somebody turned the heat on. Somebody learned the song. Somebody paid for the electricity. Somebody fed you when you were younger, took you to school, clothed you, told you about Jesus. Somebody did something so you could be here today and be with this same family for all of eternity in heaven. I'm asking you to take the same seeds that somebody poured into you and pour them into somebody else. The same seeds that pack your parachute, it's time for you to pack somebody else's parachute. There's no such thing as a self-made person. Nobody is where we're at all by ourselves. Somebody did something. Somebody sacrificed. Somebody poured. Somebody fertilized that seed. Somebody spoke faith into you. Somebody encouraged you. Now, don't go the rest of your life living selfish. Take those same seeds and that same fruit that's been given to you and give it to somebody else. Now listen, take all this in balance, okay? you got to take it. I'm not telling you to quit your job and, and, and leave your family and come to church every single day and work. Unless God's telling you to do that. But I'm not telling you to do that, okay? If, um, we, I like to be very balanced. If, if I found out, if, if, if a, your lady, if a wife is in church, you know, um, all throughout the week. It's okay to come to church on Sunday. But if you're serving all during the week and you're giving and you're making things and you're bringing food. And your husband's needs at home are not being met. If his sexual needs are not being met at home, I'll very calmly sit you down and ask you, stop serving. You can come to church, but until you take care of your spouse's needs, you're out of balance. Um, If I were to start choking right now, and I said, I need some water, I'd have five guys bring me water. But at home, when your wife says, I need some water, and you say, get up, you lazy bum, and get it yourself, okay? Something's wrong. Something's out of balance. It is. Do not serve your pastor or your church family more than you serve your spouse. I want to make sure you hear that loud and clear. You need to serve your church family, but you need to do it in balance, okay? Um, So there's a story that I love in the Old Testament when I think about being part of a family. It's with Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. But um, Nehemiah, and this is not a political sermon, okay? This is just a, 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 a story in the Bible nehemiah was told by god to rebuild the walls of jerusalem i know i know you know what it just comes in that timing but anyway god had been trying to get somebody to build this wall for 70 years the point of the wall was to save the family from the destruction of the enemy no one would do it finally nehemiah said okay i'll be in charge of building the wall i'll take that under my belt And then Nehemiah looked at the size of his family thought, Man, how am I going to accomplish this? How are we going to have this safety that we need? And in Nehemiah 3.28, he told each man, You're responsible for building the wall in front of your house. In other words, if your house was this big, your wall was this big. If your house was this big, your wall was this big. It was like the tithe. It was based on what you had. It was not equal giving. It was equal sacrificing everyone sacrificed in the family the same amount in nehemiah 4:16, he said this while half of my men were on top the ladder nailing into the wall the other half of my men were down at the bottom with spears swords ready to fight they didn't know when the enemy was going to come so while half the family's working up here the other half saying i got your back nothing's going to attack you nothing's going to harm you i am here for you you're part of my family you're doing good for my family. You're working. You're serving. And I got your back the whole time down here. Nothing's going to come near you. Nehemiah 4.20, he looked at his men. He said, men, you got to fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your homes. And I want you to look at this sowing and reaping law right here. If you will fight, then God will fight. Let me say this in the negative. If you don't fight for your family, there's an open door for the enemy to come and attack them. Uh, um, when I was in high school, um, I had a best friend named Kevin English. He was my best friend. Is Jimmy here? Or any of his relatives? He relative, probably comes to the next service. He, okay, next time. So Jimmy, is Jimmy's son, Kevin. And uh, Jimmy's wife and Kevin's mom was one of my first church members, and she's in heaven now with Jesus. She's got great rewards in heaven, wonderful woman. But me and Kevin, we were inseparable. In fact, we even looked alike. Everybody said we looked, I mean, he was black. He's still black, actually, Um, and I'm still white. But other than that, we were best friends and we looked alike. We were salt and pepper. We were Bubba Gump and Forrest Gump. That was us. And uh, we hung out every day. I I would stay at their house. Nellie would make us these huge breakfasts. Anyway, um, I had people that wanted to fight all the time in high school. You know, the guys just want to fight. I didn't mind getting in a fight if I thought I had a chance to win, which even in those cases, I didn't normally win. But as long as I thought I could. One day, this guy wanted to fight me, and it was obvious that he was going to win. I mean, he was much bigger, much stronger. He had never lost a fight. Back. I think he still fights to this day from what I've seen on Facebook. But anyway, and so, um, you know, when somebody wants to fight you, there's peer pressure, and you got it, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we all met on Forest Brook Road, and our trucks are all lined up. It was a dirt road down there. There's about 50 people there, 25 on my side, 25 on his side. and Everyone's honking their horns and screaming, fight, 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 fight. And I knew I was going to lose. And my heart, my adrenaline was pumping out my chest. I was so afraid they were going to, he was going to knock one of my teeth out. You know, this is my money shot right here. I can't let anything happen to that. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> right in the camera. And so, um, anyway. And so, everyone's screaming, fight, 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 fight. You know, and I'm scared to death. I can't show it. I'm scared to death. And the guy gets out of his truck to come fight me. And I get out of my truck. And right when I'm getting ready to walk into the fight zone, Kevin grabs my shirt. I don't know why this upsets me, but he, he grabs my shirt. He pulls me back. He says, I got it. And he stepped up. And when that guy saw that Kevin was going to fight him, his brother threw him a shovel. And he took the shovel and he went whoosh, and knocked Kevin with the shovel. And everyone's going, fight, fight, fight. Oh, and everyone just stops. Kevin falls on the ground. it was like something off a of Terminator, too. You know, everybody's like, oh, my God. What are you- he gets up, and there's this blood just pouring down his face. He takes the blood, and he wipes it from his head. And he looks at the guy, and I'm going to say what he said, but I'm going to say it in church words, okay? He said, I'm going to pray for you. That, that's what he, what he said. And he prayed the crap out. I mean, he, he laid hands on that guy, and he prayed for him. He beat the living crap out of that kid, and we never heard from that guy ever again. Here's the point I'm making. If you're part of this family, we're going to fight for you. We're not going to leave you behind. We don't want you to be a spectator in this place. We want you to be a participator in this family. We got your back. We'll help you fight for your family, fight for your healing, fight for your financial breakthrough. We will fight for you. Nehemiah said in uh, chapter 6, 15, I'm sorry, when they finished building the wall, there were no gaps left in it. The wall was finished in 52 days. Something that was supposed to take 70 years took 52 days. Here's the question. Are there going to be gaps left in our family because you're not willing to do your part? That's the question I have. You will never find a better investment in the local church. Last scripture is Ephesians 2.19. It says you're no longer strangers, but your fellow saints and members of the family or the household of God. Let me give you a a theological and 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 a governmental truth. When there's a child that's adopted the child does not choose the parents. The parents choose the child. The child does not say I want that mommy there and I think I want that daddy there. That's not how it works. The parents choose the child. You did not choose God. God chose you. You may have chosen to believe. You may have chosen to receive that that that, that 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 acceptance. You may have chosen to receive that offer. But you did not choose God. He chose you. I don't know if you know what it's like to not get chosen and to feel left out and not part of something. When I was in fifth grade, um, I... I My whole life, I played soccer. That was my sport from kindergarten to high school. Even after high school, I played soccer. I I excelled in soccer. When I was in fifth grade, during recess, you know, kids pick different sports. And I remember one season, there was kickball, and I was great at that. One season, there was dodgeball, and I was so skinny, I could just stand like this, and nobody could hit me the whole time, you know? And then, um, except for my nose, they'd hit my nose sometimes. I'm just kidding. And then they wanted to play football one season. And football is just not my game. Never got into it. I don't feel like, Getting hit on purpose, you know. I mean, that's not just like that. And they say it's touch football, but it's never touch football, you know. When you're a kid, and so they'd line us all up at the fence, and there'd be two captains, and they'd say, "I want him, and I want him, and I want him, and I want him, and I want." You know that story, right? Okay. Well, during this season of my life, when they're playing football, it was always me and one other kid left every single time, and they could choose so quick when we're all lined up. But boy, when it got done to John Paul and the other kid, everybody just stands back for like thirty seconds. You take John Paul. No, you take John Paul. No, you take John Paul. Finally, they're like, okay, I'll take John Paul. You can have the girl. And then they all, we all go play. And so, um, <laughs> and so I know what it's like to not get chosen. I know what it feels like. I want you to know we chose you. We want you. You're not here by accident. God went to the adoption agency of the world and he said, I want that little girl right there. But the world's father said, you can't have her. She belongs to me. God said, but I want her. Satan said, "Nope, don't want you to have her. Nope, I'm, take, I'm, I'm keeping her. God said, I want that little girl, Satan, because I know what kind of father you are. You abuse your children. You, 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 you manipulate them. You lie to them. You make them feel insecure, like they need to compare themselves to other people. I don't want you being that little girl's father. I want to be that little girl's father. Satan said, okay, I'll make you a deal. I'll let you adopt that little girl, but you have to give me your only little boy. And just so we're clear, God, let me tell you what I'm going to do to your little boy. I'm going to abuse him, I'm going to beat him, I'm going to spit on him, I'm going to ridicule him publicly. And then I'm going to nail him to a cross until he dies. Do you still want that little girl? And our father said, yes. And our father gave his son so that you could be an intimate member of the family of God.